You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Oh God, we give you thanks for the life that you've blessed us with, for calling us your children. And Father, we pray that today you will open up our ears to hear, that you will open up the eyes of our hearts that we may see and discern. And we pray today that your word come not merely in spoken word, but in power, with full conviction, and with your Holy Spirit. We pray this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and for all times. Amen. Well, Lizzie and I like to play games. I'm thankful to her for reading scripture for me today. And uh, we like playing all kinds of games. But one of the games that just the two of us play is a question game, where we carry on conversation, but we only use questions. Kind of like, whose line is it anyway? Have you seen this before? So you get stumped if you slip up and you say a statement instead of asking a question. So it might be like, well, Lizzie, when is your piano recital? Well, do we need to leave now? Well, do we need to walk or drive? Are you asking me? Did I stutter? Why are you asking? And on and on it goes ad nauseum. And we have fun doing this. Uh, It's even fun when sometimes we sneak up on Nathan or Donna and just start doing it to them. Just everything they say, we ask another question. And it's, it's a way of, of a playing in tongue-in-cheek kind of way. Now, here on Sundays, we've been asking a question of how is it that we follow Jesus? But we've not been playing a game. We're not trying to answer a question with another question like that little game. We've been trying to find and provide concrete ways that we can articulate what it is to be a disciple. And we've spelled it out with words that are on these dots. Be, do, say, and go. As we've explored following Jesus, being with Jesus. Spending time, imagining the entirety of your life in the presence of Jesus, wherever you go. Doing the things that Jesus did. Imitating his life, his service, his ministry, in our lives, speaking, saying, not only the words that Jesus said, but the words written down in Scripture, memorizing them, internalizing them, repeating them to where they're a part of our being. And today, we get the fourth and the final of these dots, go, of going where Jesus leads. And we're going to do that today by looking at uh, one of the older Gospels. There's four, and this one's kind of the last one. Uh, from the oldest living apostle, the Gospel of John. And thankfully, we get kind of a different story with the Gospel of John. He gives us some more texture, since he's had more time, more opportunity throughout his life to tell this story. And I love looking at the Gospels and treating them in their own right, rather than trying to blend them together. And this probably isn't the best example, but You know, when the Star Wars movies were rebooted, and we had a few more movies, uh, George Lucas carefully chose different directors to direct each of those movies. And those directors have different perspectives, different angles that they bring. Yeah, I told you it's not a great example, 
But it's kind of like what we get with the Gospels. We get a different view. And this is one where we get some unnamed disciples, where Peter is not the first one to respond. Thank you very much. Where if we were reading this in the first century, we might could picture ourselves as two of these disciples that turn and follow Jesus. It helps us to relate to it. And here's how the story goes. John, the baptizer, is preaching and teaching, and a lot of people like him. In fact, they think that he might be the Messiah. A little note here that John the baptizer is not the same as John the apostle. So even though the gospel says the gospel of John, it's not John the baptizer, it's John the apostle. Well, John the baptizer has his own disciples that are following him, and he says one day, look, there is the Lamb of God, and he points to Jesus. And the disciples that have been following him, two of them, turn and immediately leave John the Baptist, and they start following Jesus. So Jesus is walking along, and do you ever get the sense that someone's following you? Well, Jesus has this sense. John says that he looks back and turns to these disciples. Now, here we get the very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and it comes in the form of a question. What are you looking for? Now, of all the ways that this gospel could begin, of all the things that Jesus could say, this is not what I'm expecting. I mean, what are we looking for? Our keys? An, an apple? I mean, here's a chance for them to ask all kinds of things, and Jesus wants to know, what are you looking for? Now, in John's gospel, there's a whole lot of background about John the Baptist. Lots of days happen. There's this poetic beginning that's almost, it's almost philosophical about the logos or the word. And so for Jesus to ask this question, what are you looking for, is really quite intriguing. And there's some meat to it. There's some depth to it. And their response is to answer Jesus' question with a question. Rabbi, where are you staying? Okay, now this is also quite strange. Are they wanting to know Jesus' hotel room number? Are they wanting to know who he's staying with in the area? This is a strange response. They want to know where Jesus is staying. Now, for those of you that might be familiar with John, John's given us a little clue. Because this word of staying is about remaining about abiding. Does that begin to ring a bell? Later in John's Gospel, when he talks about the vine, we're supposed to abide in the branch, right? We're supposed to abide. And there's this comparison made where in the same way that Jesus abides in the Father, we're supposed to abide, to remain, to stay in Jesus. So this question of where are you located, where are you staying, is a desire on their part to remain and be close to Jesus. Jesus' response is not to continue to play the game that Lizzie and I like to play. Jesus doesn't ask another question of them. He simply says, come and see. Come and see. You want to know where I abide? Come along. Come go with me. Which brings us to where we're at 
today, of going with Jesus. As these disciples begin to follow Jesus, the scene turns to another event, where the two unnamed disciples go away and they begin to do what disciples, what followers naturally do, is to come and get other people to follow Jesus. And we find out the name of one of them, and it's Andrew. Andrew who goes and gets his brother Peter. So Peter does appear in the scene, but he's a minor character. And, and Andrew says, come, we found the Messiah. Well, the Messiah, the Hebrew word. John translates it for us. It's the king. We wouldn't have this Hebrew word for Jesus were it not for Jesus' uh, gospel expressed through the gospel of John. Well, so Peter comes along. And here in this scene, uh, things transpire. If you look in verse 43, you find that they are following along after Jesus and something changes. Where before there have been people following, now Jesus turns and says to Philip, come follow me. Verse 40, 43, we get our mission statement here at First Christian. Follow me. Follow Jesus. So Philip does what Andrew had done. He goes and he gets uh, his friend Nathaniel and invites Nathaniel. Hey, we found the guy that Moses has written about, the law, the prophets. We found the one. Come along. And he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel is, for the first time in John's gospel, we get some skepticism. Nathaniel's not interested. Nazareth? That little scrawny village? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip, did you notice what he said? Verse 46, come and see. Philip just copies Jesus' words. I find that so reassuring. That Philip just invites Nathaniel to come and check Jesus out. You know, that, that's encouraging for us as believers. Because I think a lot of times we think, well, I've got to have all these principles lined out. I've got to have all these proofs. I've got to be ready to prove theologically someone's deepest question and be able to answer it. And that's not what Philip does. Philip says, come along and see. Come try out Jesus. That's encouraging because that's something that we can do. That's who we are at First Christian. Inviting others into this life of following Jesus. Well, the scene, at least the one that we're looking at next, scene four, has uh, Nathaniel and Philip approaching Jesus. And Jesus doesn't ask a question. He looks, he says, oh, Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Now, remember, Nathaniel's a little resistant already, and he's like, hey, wait a second, how do you know me? Right? Hey there, Mr. Jesus, uh, we're not friends yet. Well, how is it that you've seen me? And Jesus says, oh, well, I saw you. I saw you before Philip called you under the fig tree. Wow. The, the switch gets flipped. And Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Now, I don't know what happened, but it's clear. It's clear that Jesus shares some information that he shouldn't know. That only Nathaniel and Philip know, but Jesus sees it. And so on the lips of Nathaniel 
we get this first confession. You're a rabbi. You're the son of God. That's a divinity claim. You are the king of Israel. Boom, boom, boom. Right like that, three names dropped for who Jesus is. All right, so where are we? So far we've seen, over and over repeated, come and see. Come and just be with Jesus. It's an invitation to just try out who Jesus is and, what, and observe what Jesus is doing. And we also get a going, a leaving behind and a following after Jesus. Because it would be pretty easy to look at our words, the four words that are up there, be, do, say, go, and think that being with Jesus is the same as going where Jesus leads, right? If we're taking Jesus wherever we go, then that should be the same as going where Jesus leads. Well, there's something that happens that pulls us out of our comfort zones, that takes us into new terrain, into new territory, where our settled lives, our seated lives, our comfortable circumstances are invited to be left behind as we move forward with Jesus. Now, when I hear this, I start to get a little intimidated. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word go, I start to hear go into all the world, right? The Great Commission. I start to think, okay, this is, I've got to go to a foreign country. I've got to do mission work. And you get intimidated. Now, I don't know where all of these different disciples were any more than I know your own circumstance. But if Jesus were to come to us like he came to them, there might be some who would have difficulty going where Jesus leads because life's pretty good. Maybe not perfect, but it's fine, it's settled, it's comfortable. And it might be difficult to just go. For others of us, it might be a little easier. It's more of a struggle. Life's not so settled. Everything's not so ordered. We're in dire straits. And so, well, yeah, I'll get up, I'll go. I'll, I'll give this a try. And so going might not be as much of a risk. I don't think so much that what's being described here is a kind of people that might be prone to adventure, ready to take the next plane trip, head off on a vacation, or head off to some adventure. Or contrasting it with someone who might be more of a homebody. I don't think that's what's going on here. Because the kind of going that Jesus is portraying for us will, ca will capture us whether or not we're a homebody or a traveler. What's, what's being communicated is that our place of comfort, what's clearly resolved for us, what's settled, is that we will be in the presence of Jesus. That Jesus will be our comfort zone. And at times that will mean Jesus is taking us to new places, places we've not been before, leaving behind what is familiar so that we can be close to Jesus in a new arena, in a new place. Now that is more of this abiding, this dwelling, this staying with Jesus and letting him move us forward. A lot of us are in different kinds of transition. There are moments when you might can imagine this kind of going, when you shift from one school to the next, when you're a successful business person and you lose that job and that security, 
or when you suddenly find yourself alone and relationships have changed. People have gone on and moved. This is a move, a time of transition where you assess and you reconsider your priorities and think about what's most important. Well, that brings us to, I don't know if we could call it a fifth scene because it's several chapters later, but some famous words of Jesus from John chapter 12, where Jesus metaphorically describes that kind of life, this disciple's life, as being like a seed that's planted in the ground. That seed must die. It must release what is familiar and normal in order to be born into a plant that produces even more seed, even more fruit. And the description that Jesus gives in John chapter 12, 24 through 26, is a description of what a disciple is. Those who follow Jesus will be where Jesus is. That's it. They will be in the presence of Jesus, moment by moment. Now this is a movement where the best things are yet to come. Following Jesus is not about constantly looking in the rearview mirror. As much as some people of faith try to make this, a conserving or a protecting or a circling of something. No, being with Jesus launches us forward to go, to go into new arrange, arrangements, to go into new arenas. It's kind of like our universe. Our universe is not getting smaller. It's expanding. It's growing. Hopefully like our own lives, where we are expanding and we are growing. Okay, Brady, this is all well and good to look at this these old stories of unnamed disciples following Jesus, but you know, what about us? What about our lives? Well, let me invite you to think about your own life for a minute. Let's just imagine you as a normal disciple, okay? Whether or not you are a church-going disciple, all right? So let's say that you spend an hour a week going to worship, okay? That's, that would be kind of basic. Maybe let's just say you're also someone who's involved in a group. So you have another hour of your week. Well, let's just say there's a third part of your life where you're serving, you're volunteering, you're participating in the ministries of the church. And, and whether or not you do this or not, let's just imagine that you're spending 10, 20 minutes in prayer, in Bible study every day. So that's about four hours, right? And let's just, for the sake of math, let's just round it up to five. Five hours. Five of your awake hours per week. Now, I don't know if that's how much you spend, but that would be about 1% of your awake hours. Now, if you compare that to our working lives, where we're working 40 or 50 hours per week, or spending that time in school or related to school, that's about 35 to 45% of your awake time. Now, I know we might start getting worried here. What is he going to say? We need to up that 1%? Well, I mean, that would be an easy thing to do, right? Who wouldn't say that? Would it be good to commit more uh, of, our, of our time to God in service with communities of believer, with the church, right? I mean, we would say that. That would be an important thing to do. And wouldn't it be great? if people did commit more time to serve as a tutor in the school or to 
help fight hunger in Albuquerque or to spend time fighting homelessness in Albuquerque. Yes, that would make a huge difference, even an hour more. But that's actually, that's not where I'm going. That's not the point that I want to press today. Because as I look at going with Jesus and what this looks like, I think there's something more. More than thinking about our time in terms of percentages or how many hours we spend on things. I think Jesus is calling us to a much higher plane. When I see people leaving behind their boats, leaving behind their families, their lives of what's familiar, I know that there's something more. And it's not just an into all the world kind of thing. It is all of our lives. But if we just reduce it to be going into all the world, you probably would do this like I would. Well, yeah, let's plan that mission trip and put it off. Maybe with good intentions, but if we think about going into all the world as something where I have to go to a foreign country or to go to a different part of town or a different side of my neighborhood, we just tend to put that off. I think Jesus is calling us into all of our lives. To going where Jesus leads means going to those areas of influence in our own life. So think about those for just a minute. I'll think about this in terms of the people that you're familiar with and those that you're not. Just three circles of influence. Think about that most intimate, tight center circle. Your friends, your family, the people that you live with. Those that you know their names, they call upon you, they trust you. Think about that intimate group. Maybe some coworkers mixed in, some neighbors that you really value. These are your people. Maybe they're not even geographically close, but they are spiritually and emotionally very close to you. We'll expand that circle just a bit to those that are just outside of it, to those that are your acquaintances, people that you might work with. Maybe you know their name, maybe you don't. You just recognize their face. People that you know in the neighborhood, people that you know around town, but they're just acquaintances. They, you could carry on a conversation with them, but these are not people over whom you have a whole lot of influence. Now expand that circle to one more level, to strangers. These are all the people everywhere in the world that you don't know, and they don't know you. It could even be that they're in your neighborhood or that they work in your company. These are people that you have never met. More often than not, whenever we talk about going, going where Jesus leads, we think about that outer circle, which in some ways is the most frightening or the most threatening, but really it's the easiest, because if you don't have a relationship with them, you can just go, show up, speak for a little while, and walk away. What's a little more difficult and yet far more significant are those that are in those inner two circles. Those people that see you day in and day out. They know what kind of a disciple that you are. They're able to see your life and your words and to see how those match up or to see how they don't match up. This invitation to go with Jesus is an invitation to see discipleship not as a title, not as an achievement, not as some promotion that you get when you reach some level, 
but a journey that's with Jesus, where you're always going deeper, always going to places at Jesus nudging that's a little further than maybe you would have gone otherwise. Places that are familiar, but you see with new eyes because you have spent time in the presence of Jesus, seeking to do the very things that Jesus did, internalizing the words of Jesus, the Word of God, even the promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life to act, not to silence those, but to act, to speak and be present with them. That is a kind of going that will have great significance. In fact, if we think of those on the front end one more time, what we've talked about today, as Jesus invited these unnamed disciples to come and see where he remains, that's early on. That's being with Jesus. And if you look at that last one of going, that's a next level. That is a wanting to abide in the presence of Jesus. Can I tell you things that I see that maybe you don't know? People that are looking at you, that are looking at us here at First Christian, whether that's online or in the flesh, and who like what they see because they see an authenticity to who you are. They see a commitment to who you are as a follower of Jesus. There are people that are wanting to know more because of you. They've seen your giving. They've seen the way that you give with abandon. And they've seen the way that your time, your money, your resources are something that's focused on being in the presence of Jesus. That can be contagious. That kind of being with Jesus is a community that I want to be a part and I am a part of here at First Christian. Let's join together in praising God in prayer and thanking him for this opportunity that's been given to us. Let's bow. God, thank you so much for the gift of being called your children. And all of us are. None of us deserve that, but you have made us. Father, would you help us to live like your children? We thank you so much that whether we're insiders or outsiders, that call is the same. We're coming along to see what it looks like to follow Jesus. God, would you teach us more and more what it is to be like your son, to be filled with your spirit, to truly live into this gift of being a child of God. Father, thank you for this group of people, for their resilience of faith, and God, I pray for all of us that, that people will know that if they see something good in us, that's just you. That's not anything about us, but our submission to you. And may they give glory to you. And God, if they see things about us that are, are wrong or flawed, help them to know that that's not you, that's us. That's our flaws and our mistakes. God, thank you that we can share those mistakes that you can work through them. And that in some ways, in many ways, it's our mistakes, our inadequacies that make you lifted up even more. Thank you for the love that you've shown towards each one of us. And we pray all this through Jesus. Amen.